When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everybody? Welcome back. Episode number six of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can find all my work over there, including our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash allgas. My personal Patreon, which is patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then my YouTube channel, which is at Trades in 5 or Trades in 5 or Dynasty Trades in 5 on YouTube. So check those out. And I'm going to start a new series. Uh, this is episode 6. I just finished the three-part series talking about quarterback efficiency. Uh, and this is going to be a roster construction series. I know I talk a lot about roster construction and abstract ideas when it comes to roster construction. Uh, but we're going to hash that out and go through just the, the manifestation of a Dynasty roster. How to approach it. You know, where do you start? What are some of the core principles that I look for when I'm building a roster? And obviously there's a ton of variables depending on the settings, depending on the scoring, all of those things come into play. So I think you have to have a system of how you want to approach a league, whether you're doing a new startup or whether you have an existing league and you're going, all right, I need to get myself back into balance when it comes to a roster construction standpoint. So that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to talk about just some of the basics that I use. Uh, we're going to start tonight with my favorite topic, uh, especially considering how scoring has gone this year, the last couple years, the latest trends in Dynasty. I'm going to talk about the wide receiver threshold. That's right. This is going to be a wide receiver centric episode. Uh, we will cover the other positions in future episodes, but tonight I'm going to focus on the wide receivers. And we're going to start with just some basic parameters, because I think we have to establish a baseline for this series, just so everybody knows where we're starting. Now, you may say, hey, I'm listening to this, but I'm in a league that has this many roster spots, or has a taxi squad, or has these rules. Like, there's always going to be variables. And instead of just saying, all right, forget about it, you know, figure it out on your own, there needs to be a way where you can do some calculations. So I'm going to use some percentages and some baselines that you can use to calculate this yourself, regardless of what settings you have in your league, regardless of what the scoring is. Um, and I will put a link 
on either of the Patreon channels, whether you subscribe to the Patreon at All Gas or Destination Debbie or mine at Dynasty and Chill, you get access to these tools that you can download and you can use. And I'll make sure that they're available for anybody that's new, that joins, that asks, or that's currently a patron of either Destination Devi or of Dynasty and Chill. Get access to this. Reach out to me if you need a link to it. It's posted. Uh, but just reach out to me if you're already a member and you also need access to this. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with a baseline for this series, and I'm going to repeat this numerous times, but it's important to establish a baseline for the type of league that we're talking about, because I'm going to give follow-up questions. Hey, what happens if this is half PPR? What happens if this is tight end premium? What happens if this is bus ball? Like all of those things come into play. We can certainly hash through different strategies based on those tweaks or those changes, but with this, we're going to establish a baseline. So here's what it's going to be. We're going to talk about a 12-team super flex PPR scoring with 10 starters, 28 roster spots, a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, two flexes, and a super flex. So start 10 with 28 man rosters, and we're going to assume that you're going to be submitting a lineup. So just to repeat that, 12 team super flex, start 10, 28 man rosters, lineup with the requirements being a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, two flexes, and a super flex. So that's the baseline. You can obviously tweak that based on how many roster spots you have, based on the scoring, based on whether there's a taxi squad. Then you get into other factors that may also impact this. Waiver rules. You know, what are the off-season rosters? Do they get expanded? Are there waivers year-round? Like all of this is going to kind of tweak how you play it, but I don't think the optimal or what you're trying to get to from a roster construction standpoint is going to change. You're always striving for something. All those other things are just going to depend on how extreme do you go, how aggressive are you, at what times do you exploit trying to get there faster or being willing to pivot away from it. So there's a lot of factors and a lot of variables that come into play, but I need to establish that baseline just for this series because it's going to be important to discuss going forward how I come up with this strategy. So with all of that said, we're going to start with this. We need to establish a couple rules. So the first rule being, in most scoring systems, regardless of what the scoring is, unless you get into really, really extreme quarterback scoring or negative quarterback scoring to where it's really, really detrimental. So think about like the Scott Fishbowl or even more extreme. I'm in a league where the quarterback scoring is extremely unforgiving, more extreme than even Scott Fishbowl, to the point where if you are starting low-end quarterbacks, you're actually being penalized to the point where you probably don't want to start them. If you know you're sitting on a quarterback 28 for the week, you probably don't want that in your lineup. You are better off starting a flex running back or a flex wide receiver. But for the most part, in most formats, you do want to start quarterbacks in your quarterback spot and in your super flex spot. So I'm going to also assume that for this format, regardless of whether it's four negative two, six negative one. The matrix says, or the numbers say, historically, you want to always start two quarterbacks in those spots if you can. That's what's optimal. And in a 12-team league, in theory, in like a utopian world where everybody is balanced and everybody is within roster construction, everyone should be starting two quarterbacks, right? So that leaves you eight roster spots left in your starting lineup 
for all the other positions. And I will add this, when it comes to quarterbacks, and we'll talk about this on a future episode when we touch on quarterback strategy, what's the current dominant strategy at quarterback, how to exploit the current market, we'll have an episode on that. However, given that you always want to be starting two quarterbacks and you have 28 roster spots, you can figure that you are probably wanting to carry at any time three to five quarterbacks. So let's just put it at four. Let's just assume, again, for this exercise, 12-team Superflex where you always want to be starting two and you have 28-man rosters, I am always having four quarterbacks on my active roster. So that leaves me with 24 non-quarterback spots that I have to play with on this team. Eight starters, excluding the two quarterbacks, 24 roster spots, excluding the four quarterbacks that I'm going to have on my roster. So again, to repeat that, 28-man rosters, 10 starters. I always want to start quarterbacks in my super flex. So assuming that there's always two in my lineup, and then there's always four on my roster, that leaves me with eight starters that are not quarterbacks, and it leaves me with 24 roster spots that are not quarterbacks. So that's the baseline. That's the baseline we are going to use when we're talking roster construction for all the other positions except for quarterbacks. So with all that said, what does it look like? What does it look like in terms of coming up with an ideal construction, not only the numbers, but the types of players that I want to use those other 24 roster spots on? So I'm going to get right into the data. I'm going to fire a lot of data. So if you want to slow this down, go back, write it down. This will be the meat and potatoes of where I'm getting this strategy is using this data, looking at it over a period of time over the last five years is what I've used. And really just looking at it from like an optimal standpoint to figure out how do I want to fill out my roster? What is the perfect roster setup or perfect roster construction? Now, keep in mind, this is perfect, right? This is assuming everything goes exactly as planned, meaning that we get into the craziness of a season, we get into the variance of a week-to-week game, it's not always going to be perfect. But when you're going into the offseason, or you're starting a brand new league, you're trying to figure out a baseline of kind of where I want to head. You know, where do I want to go? If I get to a point where my team is ready to contend, what do generally I want my roster construction to look like in this format? So you can use some percentages, you can use the data, and then you can kind of just have the idea in your mind and tweak it if you have a league that maybe has more roster spots or has more starters or less starters or slightly different scoring. Like all those things, you can kind of start with this baseline and then tweak based on your current league or the market in your current league. So let's get right into it. I'm going to look at the last five years of data, and I'm going to look at the baseline scoring or the median average for those eight starting roster spots that I talked about. So I already mentioned it's a start 10. We're going to exclude the two quarterbacks. I took the last five years of data in PPR and pulled the median averages for each one of those spots. So over the last five seasons, here they are. Running backs, RB1s, 19.1 points per game. RB2s, 13.98 points per game. Wide receiver ones, 17.62 points per game. Wide receiver twos, 14.98 points per game. Wide receiver threes, 12.83 points per game. Tight ends, 11.86 points per game. The first flex spot, 11.93 points per game. And the second flex spot, 11.2 points per game. And again, those are the median averages 
of those eight starting spots in this format. And when I say median average, essentially in a 12-team league, I am taking the median of the middle parts of that subset. So for the running back ones, I'm taking the RB5, 6, 7, and 8, and I'm just taking the average of those four numbers. Finishes from each season. And I'm averaging those together across five years. So I'm just trying to figure out a baseline of like, what is the middle point at each one of those positions, right? And it's useful to use the middle point because what do you commonly see in a 12-team league? And I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but what do you commonly see in a 12-team league? Six teams make the playoffs, right? So if you just take the median average, which is exactly why I do it this way, because probably you're going to have a league where half the teams make the playoffs. So you want to strive to hit that median average at each one of these roster spots. And that's why I use that. So it's just a baseline point to look at the numbers for each one of those eight spots, the RB1, the RB2, the wide receiver one, the wide receiver two, the wide receiver three, the tight end, the first flex, and the second flex. And obviously in the flexes, that is using the average across all three positions that fire in those spots. And another way you can refer to this data is this is going to be like the optimal data at the end of the year, right? This does not take into account that there is different distribution from week to week. These are like the point per game averages across the season and then using the median average of those data sets. So again, this isn't distribution. This is almost looking at what would it be from like an optimal points per game after the season if you just look at the averages across the entire season. So keep that in mind. Those numbers will come back to them a little bit later on. Now, the wide receivers, right? So I'm going to start with the wide receivers. I'm going to repeat this data in the next couple shows when we talk about the other positions. But for the wide receivers, we're going to specifically focus on wide receiver strategy for tonight's episode. And so with those three numbers that I talked about, what are impacting wide receivers? Obviously, the three wide receiver spots and then also the two flex spots. This is a league where you can start up to five receivers, right? Based on the fact that there's three receiver starters and there's two flex spots. So we'll get into what it kind of looks like from a total roster construction standpoint here in just a little bit. But looking at those numbers, I'll repeat them one more time. The wide receiver one, median average 17.62. Wide receiver two, median average 14.98. Wide receiver three, median average is 12.83. The first flex, 11.93. The second flex is 11 point two. So you have those numbers. You have a baseline now at the wide receivers. And again, this was the data from the last five years. So now I'm going to compare it to what it looks like thus far in 2022. And it's interesting because if you take the numbers that are at the top, so the wide receiver ones thus far in 2022, uh, the median average for wide receiver ones is 23.2 this season. So wide receiver scoring is way up at the top, right? So compared to historically, which was around 17.6, you're looking at 23.2 this season. So it's way up from the past. And that really comes down to looking at the top end of the receivers this year. Uh, They're producing better than they have in the past. And it's a little bit deeper at the top than it's been in the past. So you go down to the next subset, wide receiver twos, Historically, the number was 14.98. This year, it's 15.89. So in that range, the numbers are still slightly elevated compared to historical data, uh, almost a point per game in that range in the wide receiver two spot. Now, going down to the wide receiver threes, historically 12.83. 
Uh, this year, we're at 11.94, so slightly down. So what that tells you is in that wide receiver three range, uh, it's starting to get a little lower than what it's been historically. So you're seeing a little bit of a drop-off at that point. And then when you get into the flexes, obviously the flex one was 11.93, and then flex two, it was 11.2. The baseline for those numbers this season, the inflection point is right around the wide receiver 31 for the first flex, and for the second flex, we're looking at right around the wide receiver 34. So that speaks to what I was talking about with the wide receiver threes. The distribution is actually a little bit slimmer this year than it's been in the past. So what that tells me is wide receiver scoring is dropping off at a greater degree once you get outside of the top 30 or so. Because historically, the flex values were right around just shy of 12 points per game. This year, 12 points per game, you're looking at right around wide receiver 30 and 31. So that's where it starts to drop off a little bit. Now let's look at the distribution of specifically where those flex values are coming from this year. So what I did is I omitted the top 24 running backs this year, the top 36 wide receivers this year, and the top 12 tight ends. And then in theory, you get the remaining flex players by points per game after you admit those starting spots. So after you omit those six core starting spots, the two running backs, the three wide receivers, and the flex, you then get who are basically the next top 24 scores. And I want to go down a little bit further only because I also figure that when you're talking about players in this range, when you're talking about picking wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends in this range, you're always going to go a little bit deeper in terms of wanting to have some quality depth. So I actually looked at the percentages of the next 60. So let's just pretend like you're taking the top three bench spots as well, and you're looking at the distribution. This year thus far, it's about 54% of wide receivers are in the flexes. Now that's down. That's down from past years where it was almost 60%. So 54% of the time, if you just took best ball scoring, 54% of the time, the wide receivers are going to fill those flexes and the next couple bench spots. So if you had like an extra flex spot or two extra flex spots, or in this case, three extra flex spots in your league, it would be filled 54% of the time by a wide receiver this year. Historically, that's a little bit lower than what it's been in the past. It was just under 60% in the past. Running backs. Running backs, it's 40% of the time thus far this year. A running back is filling that flex, or a running back is filling those top couple bench spots if you added a couple flex. So really just think about it. If you're adding a couple flexes to your league, we're going to get a little more of a true impact because we're looking at a bigger sample size. Otherwise, you're just taking only the top 24. So I wanted to go out a little bit further just to give it a little more impact. Tight ends, just over 6% of the time is a tight end in PPR filling that flex spot. And that goes back to some of the research that I've talked about in the past with tight ends. Like if it is a tight end premium league, then the flex rate goes up just a little bit. But if you're just talking PPR, you are really never wanting to flex a tight end. Rarely. The only time you would do it would be if you had two of the top, let's just call it 10, 11, 12, 13 tight ends. And for the most part, you don't even want to flex the low end tight end ones either. Like you really want to only be flexing a tight end if you have one of the top six or seven. You know, one of those ones that's hitting that point per game mark. So obviously this is taking the median average, but if you look at this year, like at the tight ends, just for example, 
this season in PPR, you only have a total of nine tight ends that are hitting the 11 points per game mark, that would already be below the flex threshold that I'm talking about here. So really, you never want to be flexing a tight end in a PPR league. And that's just where you kind of get that idea of, I never want to flex a tight end. Obviously, with injuries, bye weeks, all that kind of stuff, again, that's not talking about optimal roster construction. That's basically just surviving from week to week. So tight ends are out. And this year, the data is no different. It's only just over 6% of the time is a tight end filling that flex. So think about that again. If you take the two flex spots and you extend it out three more bench spots or three more flex spots, literally just pretend like you added three flex spots to your league, just under 54% of the time is a wide receiver going in that flex if you're talking about optimal scoring or best ball scoring. And again, we're setting a lineup, but we're using the best ball results to figure out the best way to roster construct. 40% of the time, you have running backs filling those spots. And then just over 6% of the time, it's 6.5% exactly, you have a tight end filling one of those spots. So let's take those numbers and apply it to some roster construction principles. Back to what I talked about at the beginning. You have 24 roster spots to play with, right? 28-man rosters. I'm going to be rostering four QBs. So I have 24 other roster spots to play with. And we're talking wide receivers in this episode. So with that, I know already that I have to start three wide receivers. I know that I can start two more receivers in the flexes. And I also know, and it's not just this year, but historically, the dominant strategy, when I say dominant strategy, meaning if I'm playing the numbers, the odds are going to be that a wide receiver is going to be in that flex spot. This is where that saying comes from. You hear it a lot when people are talking about roster construction and drafting is you want to have wide receivers in the flex spot. And it's not just because, well, wide receivers can go off, you know, they can score 13 points on a long bomb touchdown. Like you hear that sometimes, but the math backs it up. The dominant strategy in the flexes historically is a wide receiver to be in that flex. Because then you're thinking about, okay, well, why do I want to do that, right? For exactly what I just said, you know, you're hoping that you can find wide receivers within a certain tier, within a certain threshold that are going to give you not only more frequent spots where they hit those flexes, but maybe even higher ceilings in the flexes. Go back to episode two, where I talked about wide receiver scoring and how it is relative to running back scoring thus far this year. And you can kind of see why wide receivers remain to be the dominant strategy and why you want to try to flex receivers in those spots. So with all that said, I'm already operating under the assumption every single week, I want to start five wide receivers, regardless. So I want to roster construct. That is going to be one of the basic tenets of my roster construction is every single week, I want to start five receivers. Now you can go through and do the math and think about, okay, the season is 17 weeks long, including the three weeks of the fantasy playoffs. And... I always want to start five wide receivers. So right there, you know, I have 85 high quality starts that I have to get out of my wide receivers, right? Then you go through and you think about, okay, how many times are those five guys on a bye week? Well, all of them are going to be on a bye week at least once. So that is at least five more starts that I need. So that's 90. Then you have to think about injuries. And I'm sure we could ask some smarter people than me when it comes to injuries. You know, what is the average missed time for a wide receiver in a given year from an injury? 
And I don't know that data, but if you think about it, you've already established that you want to start five receivers. You have 17 weeks to play, so that's 85. You have at least one bye week per player, so that's another five weeks that you need to fill. And then you have the injuries. Whatever that number is, and you assume every receiver that you roster is going to potentially miss that many games with injuries, you now already know how many times you have to fill one of those flexes and three wide receiver spots with a wide receiver. And you already know the dominant strategy is to always be flexing a wide receiver. So again, this is one of the core tenets that I start with. I want to build my core around five wide receivers that are within a certain threshold. And I'm going to talk about how to calculate the threshold here in just a second. That's why I shared all of those numbers. But you've set that baseline right there at five. Now, if you just do some really, really like non-creative math, and you look at that number that I shared, right, the just shy of 54%, So you're looking at like 53.45% of the time a wide receiver is going to be in the flex. Just go through and do some basic math and say, all right, if I know that the top 60 receivers in theory are going to be started every single week, then where do I want to establish like my cutoff point? You know, I have to start three receivers every week. There has to be three receivers started in every single league each week which means that's at least 36 that are in lineups. But then you go through and you say at least 54% of the time or right around 54% of the time, there's also going to be a wide receiver that fires in that flex. And there's going to be two flex spots. So if you figure in those flexes, that is another 24 receivers that could be started across the league. And you just use that 54% number that I talked about, right? And you take 54% of 24, you are looking at right around 13. So 13 receivers on average are going to be in lineups every single week across your league. And there's your threshold. The 36 that are going to be in the three starting spots, and then another 13 that are going to be in the flex spots. So if you want to round that up, technically 12.96 plus 36, you're looking at 48.96. Round it up to 50, just to make it easy, just to give yourself a baseline point. And there it is. I've now established the wide receiver threshold in a start three receiver PPR league. And we really haven't even talked about how this impacts your roster construction, depending on the total amount of roster spots, because right now it doesn't matter. We're just focusing on the one position, the wide receivers in a start three league where there's two flexes. That's my threshold. Top 50. That is my threshold. Top 50 receivers. Now, when I say top 50 receivers, a lot of people start to ask me, well, what does that mean? You know, does it mean they have to be top 50 across ADP? Does it mean they have to be top 50 in terms of their projection for the season? You know, be creative, right? Like be creative in terms of what that means. Obviously, if you are rostering a player that is clearly not a top 50 dynasty receiver, yet you think they could be a top 50 producer or so in the season, Well, you have a conundrum because obviously they're not carrying the dynasty value, but you still have them for one of these potential flex spots or one of these wide receiver spots for the season. So you have to account for that. So now you want to figure out, okay, I've already aimed at top 50 receivers, whatever I want to call that. And I sometimes like to operate on the mix of once I've established like my core five or six receivers that I know are going to be my starters, again, to account for those you know, five receivers I want to play every single week, and then maybe one more to account for the bye weeks. Those want to be six core receivers that are as good as I can make them, right? As good as I can make them 
from an acquisition cost standpoint, from a production standpoint. I want to get like six core receivers that I can make them as good as possible. Then I expand it out a little bit and say, okay, for every potential Adam Thielen that I roster, I'm okay rostering a Jamison Williams because they kind of counteract with each other. One is a top 50 dynasty receiver. One is probably a top 50 producer, but will never have any dynasty value. So you kind of look at it as like a give or take. You know, if you have a team that has a Jamison Williams, maybe you want to counteract that by having an Adam Thielen because really that rounds out your wide receiver core. And if you just take the fact that you can start five every week and you want to cover the bye weeks and the injuries, what I usually do is I essentially go through and I say, all right, I have my five core starters and I want to have at least, at least double the number of reinforcements to cover those flex spots. So that puts me right in the position where I want to go into the season. And again, this is optimal. This is what I want to strive for. If I have an existing team that I'm trying to reshape or I'm trying to build from the ground up or I'm retooling or rebuilding, this is what I'm striving for. It's not always going to be optimal, but this is what I'm striving for. So I have those five core receivers. Then I want to probably add at least another three that fit into this criteria. So either a top 50 producer for the short term or a top 50 valued receiver from a dynasty perspective. And then if you want to start going, all right, I have an Adam Thielen and a Jamison Williams, they're kind of going to counteract, then you maybe expand it a spot or two. And you probably go up to nine or 10. So quickly, we've already gone from 24 roster spots to play with. And let's just call it that we've decided on nine for this exercise. I have now decided that I want to have a core of nine receivers that are what I call threshold receivers. They are within the top 50. So whatever that means from a production standpoint or from a dynasty value standpoint, and you'll find that there's very few that fall outside of one or the other. You know, if you're a top 40 producer, most likely we're going to put you in the top 50 or better from a dynasty perspective. And if you don't produce inside the top 50, it's going to be very difficult for you to maintain that value because we're seeing a trend now where receivers produce right away. You know, if you have a rookie receiver that we are in week 12 of the year, barring they're injured, but they're just not producing, very rarely are they going to hold top 50 dynasty value, maybe in certain circumstances, uh, but not in many. And that makes it really easy to assess this wide receiver threshold that I'm talking about because it's right away. You draft a rookie receiver, they're producing in this range, they're clearly going to be valued in this range and vice versa. So there it is. I've calculated the wide receiver threshold. And I've used historical data that wide receivers are the dominant strategy in the flex. And that's why I just assume that, hey, every time I go to set a lineup, I want to have a wide receiver in that flex. And I'm protecting myself from potential down weeks or bad weeks by establishing this threshold that, hey, it needs to be top 50. That's what I'm striving for. Now, a lot of people are going to say, you know what? That's hard to get. Wide receivers are really expensive. And I get it. I get it. But this is the optimal. Remember, we're talking about what the optimal, we're talking about what you're striving for from a roster construction standpoint. So nine, we've decided on nine. Nine receivers out of my 24 roster spots are going to be accounted for in this range. Now, what does that mean? What are some of the principles that we can look for when we're out of this roster construction? So one, if you've established that you have many, many more receivers than this, most likely what you have is a lot of what we call roster cloggers right? In a lineup league, you have a lot of roster cloggers. Guys where you go, all right, they're probably not going to fit inside this threshold. 
and why am I carrying them? And one of the things that I always tell our patrons, and I've been doing this type of stuff on our Patreon for years, but one of the things I always tell our patrons is, you know, you can account for a couple spots, even if they are wide receivers on your team where you go, all right, these are value appreciating roster spots. So look at your teams. If you're carrying a couple receivers on the back end of your roster that are not top 50 dynasty receivers, or they are not top 50 producers. So think of a name like David Bell, right? Technically by ADP, he's not a top 50 receiver. He's not producing anywhere close to a top 50 receiver. But there is a window of time where you will consider rostering him. And that is because if there was ever something that happened positive for him, he might be a value ascending player. But again, going from that to he is a threshold receiver is totally different. So you always have to keep an eye on that. I see a lot of teams where you look at their roster and it's 32 man rosters. They're carrying 18 receivers. And I go, dead weight, dead weight, dead weight, roster clogger, roster clogger, roster clogger. And you have to understand, with a guy like David Bell, you have a limited window for there to be value ascension. You have a very limited window for that actually to work. Most likely, if you're in year three and you're carrying LaVisca Chenault, it's not going to work. We already know that. We already know he's a roster clogger. So that's why you hear me talk a lot on other shows about roster cloggers, and you look at somebody's team and they're still carrying Jalen Rager and Brian Edwards and Denzel Mims and LaVisca Chenault, they're roster cloggers. Now, could they be the one in a thousand that's an outlier and has a fourth year breakout, or all of a sudden they fall in a role where someone will buy them from you? Maybe, but that's not how I want to roster construct in an optimal world. So that's why we stick to this principle. That's why I start with the wide receivers, because establishing this threshold Here's the thing. Once you establish this threshold and you know of my 24 roster spots that I've accounted for nine optimally that I want to be wide receivers, it makes it easy to figure out what I want to do with the other roster spots. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about some of the problems that people may face when they're looking at their rosters and they're going, man, I'm not in construction. What do I do? So we'll talk about some strategies to deal with that. If you're looking at a team that you're trying to retool or rebuild, or if you find yourself in a startup or something where the value is just too good and you start to go maybe a little bit higher or you fall short of these numbers. So I'll be back in 30 seconds and we'll talk a little bit about that. Welcome back. So we spent the first half hour or so in the show talking about the wide receiver threshold and talking about optimal construction from a wide receiver standpoint in a 12-team Superflex PPR league with 28 roster spots and 10 starters, eight of which are not quarterbacks. And after going over the data and talking about how I come up with this wide receiver threshold and picking the number nine uh, which I did. And that's typically where I start if I'm looking at this type of format. Nine is the number of receivers that I want to try to target inside this threshold. And again, go back and listen to what defines the threshold, what types of players fit in there. It's not a one size fits all. It doesn't have to be this type of player or that type of player. But just go back and listen and try to figure out, okay, where do I start when I'm looking at one of my teams? Because you see a lot of rosters where you're going to go, wow, I never thought about it this way. I'm probably outside of 
this number of roster spots allocated to wide receivers. I see a lot of teams when I go through some of my leagues, you know, teams carrying 14 receivers, 15 receivers, 16 receivers. A lot of them are roster cloggers. A lot of them are receivers that are way outside of this threshold. And in a lineup league, again, we're not talking best ball. We're talking lineup. You're never going to know when to play those guys. Now, you may be able to tell yourself a story about how, well, I am rostering this second year receiver because you know what? All he needs is an opportunity. And when he gets it, he's going to smash. So think about a guy like Josh Palmer. Probably coming into the year, Josh Palmer might have been a roster clogger, technically by this definition. But you saw a clear path. And you're seeing a clear path for Josh Palmer play out to where there's been an injury. There's been multiple injuries. He's on an offense where you say, okay, even if he's technically not a threshold receiver, he's in an offense where if he got opportunity, he has the right mix of pedigree, situation, quarterback efficiency, everything where I can sell myself that he could be a threshold receiver in the short term. Perfect. But there's not many Josh Palmers. There are a lot of other receivers where I go, why are you rostering that player? You never know when to play him. Very, very rarely are you going to say, hey, I'm going to pick up the fifth receiver on a team because there's two injuries ahead of him and he's a smash play this week. We already inherently know that, but we don't think about it when we make rookie picks, when we make waiver wire pickups, when we make trades in startups, we don't think about this. And I see people all the time that get themselves way out of whack from a roster construction standpoint. So this will help. This will give you a place to start. We all agree, other than draft picks, wide receivers and quarterbacks are the two most important positions right now from a dynasty value standpoint. And I already kind of said I'm putting the quarterbacks aside for this episode and talking specifically about receivers. So we focused on that nine, right? Like I picked, I want to have nine core threshold receivers that are in theory top 50 or better producers slash values in the current ADP. But what if I have more? So let's start there. Because this is where I think a lot of people find themselves. They have a team where they go, okay, I'm carrying 14 receivers. But then I say, okay, how many of them are threshold receivers? How many of them are these receivers where you can truly look at them and say they're valued as top 50 receivers, or they can produce top 50 numbers, even if it's in the short term, even if it's only for like six weeks? You know, how many fit that criteria? And a lot of times you're like, wow, it's not nine. It's probably five or six. And then the rest are roster cloggers. So here's the first thing. Here's the strategy with the roster cloggers. Try to trade them. Try to trade anybody you identify on your roster as a roster clogger. Now, you may say, I don't want to do this during the season because we're in the midst of the hustle and bustle. There's a lot of injuries. You know, I don't want to just give these players away. Fine. I get that. Wait till the off season. But keep it in mind, like this type of player, if there's an opportunity to sell like a spot start. So think about somebody like Demarcus Robinson, right? If he's active, for the Ravens, he's a guy in the rest of the year could potentially be a threshold receiver. But we know he's probably not for the long term. We know as soon as the clock strikes midnight, he's not a threshold receiver. He's just not. So he's the type of player where he's a classic, can I sell him? You know, can I sell a guy like Denzel Mims now that he's playing a little bit more? And I don't want to talk too much about players on this show because that's not the point. The point is to make you think about what is a roster clogger what is a roster clogging receiver and why it makes sense to sell them. And it's for the exact reason that I talked about in episode two and for the exact reason that I'm talking about here. They're really tough to predict when to start. So that's the first thing. If you have not enough threshold receivers, but you're rostering way too many, try to sell them. The next thing, if you can't sell them, 
If you've offered these players to your league for thirds, for fourths, for fab, for running backs, we're not going to talk about running backs in this episode tonight, but you can do the math on, I had 28 roster spots. I allocated four to quarterbacks. I'm allocating nine more to wide receivers. I now have 15 more roster spots that I have to allocate and the only two positions left think about it. What am I going to fill a lot of my spots with? Running backs. So that's the other option. If you can't get a third, if you can't get a fourth, if you can't get fab dollars, can you sell some of your roster cloggers for running backs? And you can start at the lowest common denominator at running back, a body, a spot start, a player that doesn't have a spot start opportunity coming up, but could if there's an injury. So you're really looking at running backs that are literally on a active roster. So think about somebody like Chris Evans. Chris Evans is absolutely not usable, but there's a chance that in two or three weeks, Chris Evans could be usable. Think about any third running back on a team that barely gets any snaps during a game. That is a better use of a roster spot than a roster clogger, right? That's better use of a roster spot than a LaVisca Chenault. And I think a lot of people have trouble wrapping their head around that. You know, how can you tell me that a roster spot used on Demarcus Robinson is better off being used on Chris Evans? A lot of people would go, wow, that doesn't make sense. You know, Robinson, I might be able to put in my lineup. Chris Evans, I can't. You're trying to think about, again, these core principles of if you're not in the midst of a season and you're not thinking about what's currently happening right this second, what idea do you want to wrap your head around? And that's perfect. So that's your strategy if you're looking at a team that has too many wide receivers. Don't do it overnight. Don't go through and just release all your receivers onto waivers. But think about opportunities where you can go, hey, you know what? I can sell this roster clogger receiver. The window might come up in the next week or two where I can sell this receiver for a third. Gone. Gone. This is a way to get yourself back into proportion from an optimal roster construction standpoint. Now, let's say you've done that. Let's say you've cleared out some of your dead spots on your team. Maybe you've sold one or two receivers for a third. Maybe you've had to sell one for a fourth. You can argue if you can't get a fourth round pick for a player, there's no reason to allocate a roster spot. If you go back to Eric and I talked about on America's Game on one of the early episodes, we talked about warp of draft picks. If you can't get a third round pick for a player, you can argue they are not worth a roster spot. And that sounds crazy, but literally, if you just took these principles and said, if I can't get a third round pick for a player in my league, they really arguably might not be worth a roster spot. So you have to think about that. If you've spammed your league, nobody will give you a third. If you spammed your league and no one will give you a fourth, you have to question why that player is on your team to begin with. And again, these are the small moves where you go through. If you have this stuff in your mind, these are the small moves that matter if you're looking at how to get to that 5% advantage over the rest of the field because very few people in leagues are doing this. So think about that. If you can't get thirds, if you can't get fourths, if you can't get fab, if you can't trade receivers on the back end of your roster for running backs, why do you have them? And in 28-man rosters, which is our baseline for this series of episodes, there's going to be running backs I'd rather have on waivers. There is. Go out to a league where there's only 28-man rosters or 30-man rosters. There are plenty of running backs that are on active rosters that are out there and they're easy to pick up if a lot of other people are having these problems with their roster construction. So literally go flip them out. You know, cut the guys like Brian Edwards. Get them off your team. Cut the Jalen Ragers. Pick up running backs. Pick up the next Ronnie Rivers. Pick up a guy like Zonovan Knight on the Jets. You never know. Those are better roster allocations in terms of your spots than the roster clogging receivers. 
So now let's go to the other way. So what if I had 14 roster spots allocated to receivers, but only like six of them were these threshold receivers. They were a lot of roster cloggers. You know, I finally narrowed them down. I finally cut a couple of them, traded one for a third, traded a couple for a fourth, traded one or two for a running back. Now I only have seven receivers on my roster and six of them are threshold receivers. How do I get back into roster construction? Well, very basic, right? Like you're probably now looking to potentially buy a receiver. Now I'm not saying go out and just buy a receiver with a draft pick, but this is a team where I would be willing to say, okay, what type of receiver can I buy for a first? What type of receiver can I buy for a second? What type of receiver can I buy for, you know, a swap of another position, right? We haven't talked running backs. We haven't talked quarterbacks or tight ends yet, but I want to try to increase my staple of wide receivers. Now, this is assuming that in 2022, I want to try to contend. But if I am trying to contend, I probably know that for the rest of the way, I need to have another wide receiver or two especially if I'm not overly dominant at the other positions. So that is something that you could take advantage of doing. Now, it's easier when you are to a point where you're already at the number of threshold receivers. You go into the offseason and you go, okay, now I have two or three first rounders and I have eight threshold receivers. Like you may have a team that's already built like this. And again, even if you're holding eight threshold receivers, and three future first-round picks, you can now look at those picks and you can look at your receivers and say, okay, if I find myself ever at a point where, let's say I'm at that number, nine, and I have a couple extras laying around, and maybe nine is even a little aggressive, you can probably start looking at liquidation when you get into seven or eight. If you're at eight, you can probably say, all right, I have some opportunities to potentially liquidate. And this is one of the most common things that I do in PPR leagues is I look at my receiver core and I go, you know what, if it is strong and I have extras, this is an easy place where I can be willing to liquidate. And I can also be willing to liquidate based on the current market. And I think that's what's important. A lot of people will look at a roster build like this and say, okay, here are my top six. Here are my top seven. Here are my top eight. I don't want to trade any of those guys. Meanwhile, they may have a wide receiver 8, 9, even 10 that you go, okay, those guys actually fit the threshold criteria that I was talking about earlier that I identified in the first 20 minutes of the show. But really, I can't get what I think the market is worth for those guys like that. You know, think about somebody like Tyler Boyd, right? Like Tyler Boyd is a threshold receiver. He has been. He basically has been for his whole career. He probably is for the remainder of this season. And honestly, if you just say he's in a similar situation next year, he probably is next year. But the market isn't high on Tyler Boyd. It probably will never be high on a guy like Tyler Boyd. So if he is my wide receiver eight, I'm actually better off going a tick higher and looking to trade my wide receiver five or six and try to trade them for a premium, right? especially if I have a Tyler Boyd and then I maybe have one or two others on the back end of my roster, really they kind of occupy the same theoretical spot in my starting lineup, but I can't get the trade value for one of those guys like I could for like wide receiver five. My wide receiver five is maybe Cortland Sutton. You know, Cortland Sutton has a couple of big games. There's a shot that I could get a first for him. I'm never getting anything like that for Tyler Boyd. So you're playing the market. You're also looking at your thresholds and saying, okay, I'm at the number that I strive for, but I also have two firsts next year. Those may end up being wide receivers based on the best player available, right? And then if you end up picking one or two of those, boom, now I have some trade assets. 
And you really can look at those trade assets and go, okay, I have something that I can liquidate. And I don't have to be fearful of next season coming and there's too many injuries or I don't have bye weeks covered. Like certainly you could have something really, really bad happen to a team where you just get decimated. But if you go into next year and you go, okay, I have eight threshold receivers and I just drafted two rookie receivers this year. Boom. Now I have 10. Now I can go, okay, where can I potentially liquidate? Or instead of making the picks, you can say, okay, I'm not necessarily going to look to make a receiver draft pick, right? Like I'm going to shop this pick a little more aggressively than I would be if I needed to refill my threshold receivers on that team. So think about that. And you find people that are in this scenario because they've built really wide receiver heavy, but then they get to a point where it's like, what is too much? And that's why I identified this threshold. That's why I identified this optimal number. And if I said nine out of 28, assuming it is a 12 team super flex, you're looking at right there around 30% or so. Around 30% of your roster spots, you want them to be wide receivers. If you just take those numbers that I talked about in this show, but you want them to be a certain quality. You want to like cut off the quality at that top 50 range. And once you go below that, you really don't want to go below that in terms of the numbers anymore. So if you're below the nine, but you can't get any more receivers in this threshold, then you know you want to try to add. But if you are above the nine, and they're all still like within this threshold range, boom, that's when you liquidate. That's when you go, let me go to the market, figure out what I can liquidate. And you have a whole pool of receivers. And the beautiful thing, if you go back and listen to episode two, is we kind of already know where these ranges are, right? Like once you get into like the wide receiver 10 to 40, you have a wide range of players that you can trade within that range that are all of different dynasty values. So you just pick out, okay, how many of them do I have in that range? This is probably the range I want to start trading away because that is high enough to where other people in my league are probably going to value those players. But they're also close enough together where you can say, you know what? It really doesn't matter which ones I trade for purposes of my roster construction. Let me trade the one I can get the most for. Let me trade the one that can actually bank me a first and a second. And that's what I can use maybe to upgrade my other positions. And we'll talk about that on future episodes when we talk about running back strategy, quarterback strategy, and tight end strategy. So I hope this helped. It's a different way to think about things. Obviously, the threshold is going to be slightly higher if your flexes are expanded. Obviously, the numbers are going to be a little different if you have more flex spots to start and if you have more total roster spots. But generally, I think the main principle is, regardless of whether you have 28 roster spots, 30 roster spots, 32 roster spots, 32 roster spots in a taxi. Really, this is the core principle of where I want to be at wide receivers in this format. Now, if you get into a league where I have a league where you start four receivers and you can start five flexes, you know, something like that, way different. But most leagues take this type of structure where it's three receivers, two flexes, or some form of that where you can start up to five. And when you have that, I think receivers is where I start. I'm always striving for like that 30% range or so of my roster spots. In this case, nine out of 28. That's my threshold. That's where I always want to be. And then I feed the other roster spots just based on my market value in my league to all the other spots on my roster, whether that be 28, 30, 32, 32 with a taxi. Really all those do is make me have to shave off or add the numbers at the other positions. And we'll talk about that 
in the future episodes when we talk about the other positions. So hopefully this helps. I think this is pertinent going into 2023 where I think we're going to hit a period to where wide receivers are going to be more valuable than ever. And it's going to be important to have something like this already locked down. And it's going to be important to even get ahead of the game in a seller's market, right? Like there is a lot of people that want to buy receivers right now. There are a lot of people that go, you know what? I, I want to buy a stud receiver. I want to buy a top 12 receiver. I want to buy a threshold receiver. I'm always looking for receivers, 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 rookie draft. It's going to be super interesting because we have kind of a lackluster receiver class coming in. Ray will tell you that, but you know what? It's at the same point where the NFL values the receivers more and more and more. So you're going to see them drafted high. You're going to see six, seven receivers probably go in the first 50 picks or so. So automatically, we're going to have another crop of these threshold receivers coming into the NFL next year, and it's definitely a seller's market. Most teams in your league, as they start to realize, hey, running backs are really devalued. Hey, outside of a certain range, like quarterbacks are kind of all the same. Everyone wants to buy receivers. So it's tough. It's tough to execute this now. It's tougher to do this than it was two or three years ago, right? Where everyone valued running backs a little bit more. We hadn't had four or five straight receiver classes that just absolutely smashed. So it's going to be tougher. But I think having this in the back of your mind, not just for new leagues, but for your existing leagues, and you can gain an edge. Even if you've already built some teams that have had some success, you can gain an edge by just having these types of things in the back of your mind when you're looking at your team and then tweaking it. Like, I'm not going to be able to tell you the optimal for every single league because there are millions and millions of variances in terms of scoring, settings, rules, all that kind of stuff. But I'm giving you a baseline with this episode of how I approach it and really what the optimal is. Now, how do you get to the optimal? How much work do you have to take? How much time is it going to take? How much value do you have to lose to do it? That's a different story. But I'm just giving you a baseline of how to get to the optimal. And I think it starts with the receivers because it's the easiest to define. It's the easiest to pick the cutoff point. And then we've clearly identified really everything after that, just based on variance trends and based on having to submit a starting lineup. Uh, it gets really, really difficult to do it after a certain range. So keep that in mind. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I'll come back next week and hit on another position. And then this will probably be a five-part series or maybe a four-part series where I probably lump the tight ends and the quarterbacks into an episode by themselves. And then maybe I'll do one final episode where I just tie everything together and kind of go through like what my optimal build would be for a league like this. And maybe talk some nuances on, you know, what you do with different waiver rules or with different roster expansion rules or taxi squads. I mean, there's always nuances, but I think it's important to discuss how some of those things might change your strategy just a little bit. So with that, we'll go ahead and end this episode. As a reminder, I want everybody to subscribe to the Destination Devi newsletter. I'll check that out. You get it delivered to your email inbox once per week. Tons of great information from the whole Destination Devi team. Really everything you can think of. It's not just Dynasty, Redraft, DFS, injury information, gambling information, and much, much more. Check out the newsletter. Again, it is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. Check it out. You get it right before the weekend hits and all of our content creators put a lot of time into that. So again, check it out. Uh, subscribe with your email and support all the great Destination Devi creators. With that, I'll go ahead and sign off. You can find me on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. All my work is linked over there. If you have any questions, reach out to me. 
check out the Discord. You can join at patreon.com slash allgas. My Patreon, where you get a lot of these proprietary things that I've come up with over the last couple years, uh, it's patreon.com slash dynastyandchill. And we will be back with next week's episode where we talk more roster construction principles. Only ones I keep around me is my fam. No coincidence, it's always been the plan.